Amen. What a, an appropriate song as Paulette was playing there. In Christ alone, we think about the messages that we have been considering from the book of Philippians. I ask you to turn there again this morning. Philippians chapter 3. If you recall, when we began this series, really back in verse 1, the series on understanding true conversion, the Apostle Paul told us that one of the reasons why it is he was presenting these truths to us about his conversion was so that it would be a safeguard of protection for the church there at Philippi. And how right Paul was and how much the church needs this safety net even today. Over this past week in studying for this message, I came across a pupil that was done this time last year in 2017, in spring of summer of 2017, where they polled American Protestants. And in that poll, they were asking them, how it is that someone saved? How it is that someone is justified in the sight of God? And sadly, 52% of them said it is both by good deeds and by faith. Only 30% of them said that they believed in faith alone and scripture alone. It was a reminder to me that Paul was right, that the church needs to be reminded over and over again as a safeguard, a protection about how it is that a person is saved, a person is justified in the sight of God. Thus, beloved, it is no problem at all for me to talk to you once again here from Philippians 3 about true conversion, about being justified in the sight of God. Now, our focus this morning is going to be on verse 9, where Paul speaks about wanting to be found in Him, found in Christ. To be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me ask you a question. What is it that comes to your mind when you think about the gospel? Hopefully, you will be thinking about God, thinking about Jesus Christ, thinking about the cross of Christ. I'm sure a part of your thinking will be having a relationship with God, having eternal life, having an eternal relationship with God. And you would be right in thinking that. That's part of what we were speaking about last Sunday in verse 8 where we talked about knowing Christ, valuing Christ above all other relationships. Not that we aren't to value a relationship with our father, our mother, our brother, our sister, our relationship with other people. We are. We're to love them and honor them in the way God's word says. But we are to value a relationship with Christ above any other relationship in our lives. Paul said, I want to know Christ. So it is true, when you think about the gospel, you should be thinking about eternal life, knowing Christ. Because even as Jesus himself said, over in the gospel of John, in John 17, in verse 3, he says, this is eternal life, 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But beloved, as we read here in verse 9, I want to remind us again that the gospel is even more than that. That there's something else that we need to consider when we're thinking about our salvation. And that is we need to also be thinking about the righteousness of God. The righteousness of Christ. We need standing with God. You see, beloved, our salvation is more than just a relational matter with God. It is also a moral matter with God. To be reconciled to God and having a relationship with Him, one must also have standing with God. And beloved, that is what the Apostle Paul is addressing for us here in Philippians 3 and in verse 9. Here's the problem. When you're thinking about the gospel, here's some things I hope that you will be thinking about. It is this. Number one, God is righteous. When you're thinking about who God is, you need to be recognizing God is righteous. We just got through singing about it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is morally and ethically pure and straight. The Bible declares this from the beginning to the end, that God is righteous. The Bible also declares to us, when you're thinking about the gospel, not just that God is righteous, but that God demands righteousness from all of us. He demands righteousness from you and from me. You say, how so? Well, think about these statements. Does not the Bible say in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that God says, Be holy as I am holy? That is God's demand for righteousness from you. Jesus himself said that we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So here is righteous God demanding righteousness from us. Not only that, The Bible teaches us also that God will judge the world through Christ in righteousness. He's going to judge this world through Christ in righteousness. Over in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, we're told there that those who are unrepentant have stubborn hearts, that is, unbelievers. What is it that they're doing? They're storing up wrath for themselves in the day of the, of the revelation, and listen to this, of the righteous judgment of God. This righteous God demands righteousness from us and He will judge us according to His righteousness through Jesus Christ. In fact, if you will for just a moment, just to see this more explicitly, turn over in the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul was speaking his sermon, proclaiming his sermon on Mars Hill, Pick it up in verse 30. He says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, 
God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Why is it that they need to repent? Verse 31, because He, God, has fixed a day. And He's fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. Through who? A man whom he is appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And we know that's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. God is calling on men to repent because he's fixed a day whereby he's going to judge this world and he's going to judge this world in righteousness. But now let's talk about us for a moment. The Bible also clearly says we all sinned. We all have sinned ourselves and we all sinned in Adam. In Romans 3.23 it says for all sinned and have come short of the glory of God that I did there even of all sin. When was it that all of us sinned? Well, we all sinned in Adam as it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. That we all sinned and what happened? Sin has spread to all of us. Death has spread to all of us. Whether we have all sinned, we're all sinners by nature, we're all sinners by choice. We all go astray. Not only that, turn over with me for just a moment to the book of Romans and go to Romans chapter 3. If we were studying through the book of Romans, beginning in chapter 1 and verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 10, you would see that the Apostle Paul is laying out this very fact about mankind, and that is this, that we're all morally unrighteous. That would be the theme. We're all morally unrighteous. And he really sums it up here. Now I want to remind you again of what I've already said to you. God is righteous. God demands that we be righteous and God's going to judge us according to his righteousness. And then we come here to Romans chapter 3 and we look down at verse 10 and the Apostle Paul quoting scripture, quoting what God has already said, says there are none righteous. And in case somebody begins to think, well maybe I'm the exception, he says, no, not even one. There's no one here who's righteous. Not only that, beloved, we're told over in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, that we're all cursed. Because it says there, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things that are written in the book of the law to perform it. So that tells us this is the dilemma that mankind is in. We're all sinners. We've all sinned. We're all unrighteous. We're all unjust. We're all ungodly. We're all under the curse and condemnation of God. And God is righteous. And God demands righteousness. And God will judge us according to our righteousness. And then we see even there in Romans 3, there's none of us who understand. There's none of us who see. What is it? We, we need God to provide it for us. Now let's go back to Philippians 3. 
And what you will see here, and what Paul says in Philippians 3, 9, is that there are two kinds of righteousness that a person will tend to look to or depend on to somehow gain standing with God, to gain acceptance with God. Notice what he says. There is a righteousness he speaks of there, of my own derived from the law. And he also speaks about a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Those are the two kinds of righteousness that someone is going to be relying on or looking to or counting on to somehow pass the test with God so that when God judges us according to righteousness, what is it that they're going to offer, that they're going to be looking to, wanting God to look at? That first one he speaks about there, a righteousness of my own derived from the law, that's speaking about the righteousness of man. That is the inherent self-righteousness. The other righteousness he's speaking about here is the righteousness of God. I refer to it as the imputed Savior's righteousness. The imputed Savior's righteousness. And understand, beloved, it's going to be one or the other. It can't be both. It would just be one or the other. And clearly, as we look at this text and what Paul is saying here, he makes it very clear, as the rest of the Bible does as well, that man's own, this inherent self-righteousness, will not be accepted by God. That's what Paul came to the reality of on that road to Damascus. That's what he's telling them. Remember back in his testimony in verses 4 and 5 and 6, all those things that he was counting on, that he was looking to, he thought he was establishing his own righteousness before God and that God was going to be looking down upon him and when he got to the, to the gates of heaven that God would be accepting of him based off of all the things that he had done and when he met Jesus on that road, he realized that God wasn't going to accept any of that. It would be like you having and going and collecting from all of us coming to all of our houses and you ask to get all the, the money that we have in a monopoly game and taking all that money and going up to the bank and you get there to the door of the bank and you walk into the teller and say, I want to make a deposit. And they're just going to look at you and say, we don't accept this. This is not worth anything here. But that's what our lives are before God and that's what we're depending on. Listen to this. In Titus 3.5, we're told that he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. God saves us and he saves anyone here today, but it won't be on the basis of any of your deeds which you have done in righteousness. In Romans 3.20, the Apostle Paul says, because by the works of the law, and listen carefully to this, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No flesh is justified, declared right, given standing with God through the works of the law. Why is that? Why is it that no flesh will be justified in his sight? 
Why is it that I am saved by God according to His mercy and grace, but none of it is based on the deeds of which I do? Why is that? Well, let me give you two reasons. Number one, because all the deeds that we do are tainted in the eyes of God. They're all tainted. That is, they're all considered sinful in this sense. Remember, I'm talking about as an unbeliever. As an unbeliever who's trying to establish their own righteousness with God so that God will save them on some basis of their righteous deeds, he said, we're told over in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, that all our righteous deeds as unbelievers are like a filthy rag in the sight of God. You know, it is a graphic term. He's speaking of a minstrel rag there. He said, this is like a minstrel rag in the sight of God. That's how God sees it. It's tainted in the eyes of God. But let me give you a second reason why it is that God will not justify anyone on the basis of their deeds. It is because it is thievery in the eyes of God. You say, thievery? What am I stealing? What am I, what am I stealing from God? You're trying to rob God of His glory. And God has made it very clear from the Old to the New Testament, He will not share His glory with another. See, that's a major difference between us and God. God does all things for His glory. We're to do all things for His glory. I'm not to boast in myself. I am to boast in God and in God alone. Beloved, that's why we're told over in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 3, listen to this, in verse 5, he says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You notice he says he saved us according to his mercy. We were justified by his grace. Thus God gets all the glory. God gets all the credit. That's why, beloved, God will not accept anyone on the basis of anything that they do. As you reflect for a moment what Paul is saying here, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul came to the conclusion, the right conclusion finally, that he misunderstood the righteousness of God. And he recognized that he needed to abandon that. He needed to repent of what he was thinking. And Paul understood that that's the way the Jewish people were thinking in that day. Let me just show you how important it is to recognize God is righteous, God, what God demands in righteousness, and how God judges according to righteousness. Because if you miss this, then you miss the gospel. You miss Christ. Turn for just a moment over to the book of Romans and go to Romans chapter 10. Look at Romans chapter 10. This is again a reminder of why even though somebody can be zealous 
And they can be sincere. But if they're misguided about the gospel and misguided about God and the righteousness of God, beloved, they're missing the mark. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them. This is what I can tell you, Paul says. I can tell you about the, the Jewish people of that day. I can tell you that they have a zeal for God. Okay, they were not irreligious. They, they weren't these unreligious people. They had a zeal for God. And understand now, he's talking about the God of the Old Testament. They had a zeal for God, but sadly, it was not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness. You see, when they didn't understand God's righteousness rightly, they began to seek to establish their own, that is, their own righteousness. Thus, they would not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. That's how important it is. That's why they missed the mark. And understand, beloved, that's what all that's what all religions do. They, they don't have the right knowledge about the righteousness of God, thus they won't subject themselves to the righteousness of God, which is found only in Jesus Christ. For he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. An example of this, we've, we've looked at this example before over in the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 18 beginning in verse 9 down through verse 14. Remember where Jesus is speaking to those who were justifying themselves and they were trusting in their own righteousness. And remember he told this parable of a story, the story of two men, a Pharisee and a publican, a Pharisee and a tax collector, or a Pharisee and a man who was thought of as one of the worst sinners in the community. And you remember the Pharisee? This Pharisee was looking to his own self-righteousness. The publican, that sinner, was looking to God. And he was just looking to God, remember, for mercy. He just wanted mercy from God because he knew he was not righteous. He knew he had nothing to offer God. He had no deeds, nothing that was inherent in him, nothing he had done that he could offer God that God would accept it. He knew the only way that he would be declared right with God and get standing with God is only according to the mercy of God and the grace of God. So he cries out, not even willing to look up, beating his chest. God have mercy on me, the sinner. You see, he's saying, oh Lord, have mercy on me. The other man, the Pharisees over there saying, Lord, look at me. Look at what all I've done. And the reason why is, is because the Pharisee was comparing himself to other people. He wasn't looking at the righteousness of God. Because if he looked at the righteousness of God, he would have been down on his face, not willing to look up to heaven, crying, Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I 
I'm just a sinner. And let me show you something else. Turn over to the Gospel of John for a moment. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Here Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. They've, they're having a hard time with it. They're troubled in their heart. They're troubled in their spirit. Right now they still just don't fully understand what's going on. We know when we, from studying all four Gospels and reading through all four Gospels and even into the book of Acts that they didn't fully understand all of it till after his death, after his resurrection, even in some sense after his ascension. I mean, they're just struggling with how this all works together. But Jesus told them that it was to their advantage that he leaves because when he leaves, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Pick it up with me, if you will, in verse 7. He says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when, and he, when he comes, here's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning righteousness. Yes, there's an aspect of that where he's going to be convicting the world concerning the righteousness of Christ. But beloved, one of the main things the Holy Spirit does is he comes into this world and he's declaring to this world and convicting this world about their own self-righteousness. Trying to tell the world you're on the wrong track. The Holy Spirit. So as we go out and proclaim the gospel, beloved, we need the Spirit of God convicting people about their righteousness. That their righteousness doesn't measure up because they have to come to that conviction as Paul did so that they abandon it, they repent, they turn from it. They abandon all of it. This idea of the righteousness of God is critical to the gospel and to salvation. Let's go back again for a moment to Philippians 3 and verse 9. And what Paul says is that he wanted to be found in Christ. And what he realized on that road to Damascus was this, is that for him to be found in Christ, he could not be found in him having a righteousness of his own derived from keeping the law. You, 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 like I said, you can't have both. You cannot have both. You can only have one, and the only one that God will count and accept is the righteousness of Christ. Notice what he says, but that, it wasn't a righteousness of his own derived from the law, but that righteousness which is through faith in Christ. Notice it's a righteousness which comes from God. It comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, it is an alien, imputed righteousness. 
It's coming from God to us. It's not inherent in us. It's something that God has to give to us. So let me ask you some questions. Who do you know that was conceived and born in this world without sin? They were righteous. Jesus. Who do you know that live, has lived life here on this earth in complete obedience to the law, to the Word of God? Jesus. Who do you know knew no sin? Jesus. Thus, beloved, this is the righteousness that we need for God to give to us. We need the righteousness of Christ to be credited. That's what we mean by imputated. We need it to be credited to us. That's why it tells us over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 to believers, Christ has become to us righteousness. Or if you will for a moment, look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21. Again, think about the righteousness of God. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God the Father made Him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin. He made him take on our sin in the sense he had him take on the wrath of God that was so justly to be poured out on us. He poured it out on him so that we might become the righteousness of God, but in him. See, here's an illustration. You may have heard this before because I know others have used it. Just think about having, think about it in your own hands. In your left hand, you have a book, and in your right hand, you have a book. And the left hand is the book about your life. And when you flip through the pages of all that, it is just filled with red ink of sin. And in this hand is the book of Jesus' life. And you look over at it, and it's empty. There's no red ink. It's all in black because there was no sin. And you see, what has to happen for God to accept someone is that all that red ink that's in your pen has to go into His book. And all of His righteousness that was there in His book has to come into your book. That is, it has to be put on top of yours. That's how you get accepted with God. That's how you're justified in the sight of God. God took away our sins and placed them on Jesus as if Jesus had lived your life, as if he lived my life. But then God takes Christ's righteousness, his life, and he puts it on us, and he now will treat us, those who are in Christ, he will treat us as though we have lived his life. It's grace, it's mercy. This is what we mean by the imputed 
righteousness of Christ. This is what Paul is speaking about here in Philippians 3. But now notice something very carefully here as we wrap this up together this morning. Go back to Philippians 3 and verse 9 because it is just as critical as you, that you see here how it is that one gets this righteousness credited, imputed to them. How does that exchange take place? How is it I'm going to get my sins there with Jesus and Jesus' righteousness with me? How is that going to happen? Well, notice carefully what Paul says. It is through faith. Through faith alone in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God, it comes on the basis of faith. It is a gift of righteousness. It is a gift of righteousness from a righteous God to an unrighteous person. It's by grace, it's by mercy, it's not by anything a person does. I don't have to perform anything. You don't have to perform anything. There's no ritual, there's nothing you have to do to somehow to get God then to credit you with His righteousness. There's nothing you have to do in that sense. There's no act you have to perform. You just simply have to receive it by faith. And that's what Paul did on that road to Damascus. He received it by faith. Listen very carefully to this. Romans 3. Listen carefully to what it's saying. Verse 21, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. You see, that's the good news. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. By a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. And he goes on to describe down in chapter 4 of Romans that Abraham was justified by faith. You see, beloved, this is the way it has has been since the fall of man. Adam was justified by faith. Abel was justified by faith. Noah, who found favor and grace in the sight of God, was justified by faith. Abraham was justified by faith. It's always been by faith. Putting your faith in God, putting your faith for us in Christ, on the basis of your faith, that righteousness will come. It's not on the basis of your faith plus anything else. Remember now, let's go back to how this all got started. This all got started because there was a party of people that were showing up 
following Paul around and Paul knew eventually that they were going to get there to Philippi and when they did, they were going to be upsetting the church as they had upset other churches by teaching, yes, you need to have faith in Jesus and that's good and that's great, but you've got to have more than that. If you want all the benefits of Christ to come to you, you're going to need to be circumcised and keep the law as well. And Paul is saying, no, and remember, he's so serious about it that over in Galatians chapter 5, remember what we read, he says, if you add anything else to it, whereby you're saying it's not by faith alone in Christ alone, you are actually cutting yourself off from any of the benefits. That is, you're cutting yourself off from the righteousness of Christ being credited to you. It's by faith. You see, that's why there's no distinctions. We've all sinned, but we're all saved by faith through Christ in Christ alone. So my friends, I say to you this morning, and I ask you, have you received this gift of God's gracious righteousness by faith? Have you received it? You must by faith alone, trust in Christ alone, depending on Christ alone. That is, you must see that you have no standing with God because of your sin and because of a lack of righteousness before God. You must see that you have no hope. That is, you have, you have no hope of paying for your sins or establishing your own righteousness with God. He will not accept any other payment and He will not accept any other righteousness. He won't accept anything else except Christ and His sacrifice and His payment on the cross for our sins. And He won't accept anything else except the righteousness of Christ. Thus you must see Jesus, the Son of God, as the Savior, as your only hope for the forgiveness of your sins by looking at Him on the cross and seeing that it's there on that cross that He was paying for your sin. He was the propitiation for our sins. And you must see that your standing with God is only through Him and His righteousness. Your only hope of being acquitted, your only hope of being declared right with God is through Him. And you simply need to look, you need to believe, you need to embrace You must come to him with an empty and open hand of faith. You come to him with an empty and open hand of faith. And you will be justified in the sight of God. What happened for Paul will happen for you. You will be forgiven of all your sins. And the righteousness of Christ will come to you. And it will be credited to you. Now for us as believers, beloved, as we think back on this precious truth of what God has done for us, what Jesus did for us, how that should cause us to rejoice in the Lord. 
Remember, that's the other reason why Paul's writing this. Yes, it was as a, to be a safeguard of protection, but also it was to be a source of praise for us as believers, knowing what Jesus has done for us. He has done it all for us. It is a gift of righteousness from a righteous God that was given to us, unrighteous people. It was a gift of redemption that He's provided for us through the sacrifice of Christ. Oh, beloved, if you're here this morning, you need to come to Christ. You need to see this and understand this. This is the gospel. This is the good news. You must receive it as the gift that it is by putting your faith in Christ. Repenting, walking away from all of what you've been looking at and counting on and pursuing and putting your faith in Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads.